verse 13. Romans 15, 13. Now, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. That's the desire of God for us all. Probably it's better for me to say my subject with the proper emphasis. First of all, what I don't want to be saying. I don't want to be harping on this word obeying. We hear quite a bit. So it's not the joy of obeying that I want to emphasize but it is the joy of obeying the joy of obeying unless you and I have that really that motive the object before us our brother mentioned in his prayer of Christ for our needs and for our object even while we're waiting for the Lord but I can say this that it is the deep desire of my heart to lay a stress on each one of us having that joy in our heart of obeying it's the only way beloved ones that we're ever going to pass on through this hostile world with conditions getting worse and worse not only in the world but even amongst the Lord's people and I would like to leave with you seven secrets secrets in the sense of the mystery that Paul spoke of but not only those given by Paul other of the apostles as well I hope I won't take too much time I want to leave time for others so if I could count on your attention for a little while I'll go over these points and I'll give you the scriptures uh, that uh, you can meditate on and trust that it will be benefit to you. Seven secrets. They're basic. I think we need basic truth and I believe that these are basic. When I speak about us I'm going to be addressing those only of you who know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, 
This is going to be right over your head. You're going to miss everything. You're going to miss, of course, the joy of knowing what the Christian really can enjoy in this life. You're perishing. You're perishing. You think of this life as tough. Nothing compared with what's ahead if you die without Christ. So I am speaking now to those of us here who know the Lord Jesus. I see some young children here. I see young people. I see those who are in middle life. And those of us who are well on toward the end of our days. And I want to address my thoughts to each one of you. I love you. And I want to leave this message, I trust, from the Lord. First one is this. That you were chosen by God you were chosen by God individually before God made the world does that have any impact on you dear younger ones here I know it affects us the older ones but I want to drive home that point that First of all, the first secret is that God chose you and me before there was any time before this world existed. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. I'm just going to give you these verses quickly, leave them with you. Ephesians 1 verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him that's in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love there's the first chosen does that grip your soul I trust it grips mine not to me be making ourselves important, but to realize that God has done this. He chose you. I'm looking into your face, and if you're one of the children of God, God chose you before he made the world. That's secret number one. Second is, in order, in order to get a hold of you, put it that way he had to buy the whole world 
didn't redeem the whole world, but he had to buy the whole world. Let's go over to Matthew 13. Verse 44. Again, the kingdom of God is like unto treasure hid in a field. The which, when a man has found, he hides. And for joy, there's that joy, thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. That's what God did. And the second secret now, this is you and me. He bought the whole world as a treasure that he had his eye on, and that's you. In order to be able to get at you, he bought the world. That's the second. Now the third. The third secret. Getting closer now. And uh, as I look into your faces, some of you might say, well, we know those things. But I just trust now that as we go on in these secrets, you're going to realize that there is more to it than just to sit in a reading meeting like this and to hear these things, nice points, nice, that your conscience and my conscience would be awakened. We need it. We need it. We need to be stirred up these days. Third secret, as I said, we have been redeemed. Let's go over to First Peter chapter 1. Forasmuch as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation or manner of life received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Here's the price. There's the price that God the Father has paid to have you, of you. I want to drive home the fact that I am talking to you as individuals. This is what God has done. He has paid for you by giving his Son, and that Son of his love has paid with his own blood 
to redeem you. Why? Oh, because the whole race, because of disobedience from Adam on, forfeited all that place of privilege that God desired for his creatures to have them around him. All that complacency was lost through disobedience, rebellion. We're experiencing this in a new way these days. But I want to keep emphasizing that this is the root fault or the root cause why God, speaking reverently, had to do this. No other way. He spoke the worlds into existence, but it cost him the price of his beloved son and his blood. We had the experience this morning of tasting a little bit of what the Lord Jesus suffered at the hands of his creatures. The shame, the ignominy, all these things don't save us. It's his precious blood that saved us. And he paid the Lord Jesus Christ in obedience unto death. The first and only man that ever walked on this earth in obedience fully to God's will was his beloved son. God has found his complacency reestablished in one man, one man. He opened the heavens to declare, this is my beloved son in whom I find my delight. This blessed son of God has redeemed you and me by his blood. That's secret number three. I hope you're getting it. Number four. Very serious now. This is a little bit different and I trust that this is going to reach into your heart and to your conscience. This is the fourth one. God owns you. He owns you. You are his property. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. He asks the question. It's in the form of a question. First Corinthians six nine. Know ye not? I was looking for 15. 15. Yeah. Know ye not that your bodies that's not the verse 19 there it is what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost 
which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Does that hit you? Does that touch your conscience? We're not our own now. You haven't got the authority to be deciding, making any choices in this life. You are one, and I am one, of God's objects that he has chosen, that he has bought the world to get at you, that he has redeemed you, and now he owns you. You are his property. Any room here now for you and me to be deciding what we're going to be doing? Not one particle of it. Not one particle. You are and I belong to God. As we pass on through this world, we are his property. I have no liberty to use being using my mind to make decisions. We must bring all our thoughts into the obedience of Christ. Why? Because he owns us. We are his property. That's step number four. Now here is deeper, a deeper point. God had a purpose and he still has a purpose in this whole plan that I am, I trust, opening up before you? What is that? It is this, that God has done all this for his own joy and pleasure. That's primary. That's first. Why did he do it? For his own joy and happiness. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 1. Wonderful portion here. I don't want to spend too much time on this. No ifs in Ephesians because it's all God's purpose and his plans. Nothing to do with sin here at the beginning redemption is only mentioned I think in the seventh verse but I want to just point out to you quickly that there are three persons engaged in this work the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit all have been part of this work for the glory of the Father the glory of the Lord Jesus and for the glory of the Holy Spirit. That's a little bit lofty, isn't it? And you might say, that's a, a bit beyond me. But I just want to implore you, dear younger ones and older ones, we need to be brought into the realization that God is doing all this for his own glory. Primarily. Let's look at it now in a little more detail. Verse 5. Ephesians 1 5. 
Now this is God the Father's portion, we might say. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Is that plain language? There it is. God saying this to himself. According to the, notice this, the good pleasure of our will? No. His will. The good pleasure of His will to the praise, to the praise of the glory of His grace. When I heard this years ago, took a hold of my soul. Oh, dear younger ones and older ones and every one of us, may we realize that this is what God is saying, first of all, that God the Father, for the glory of His grace and according to His will, that He might have you, dear young ones here, teenagers, middle-aged and older ones, oh, that we might let this grip our souls. It is all for the glory of God the Father first. Now then, the second, we might say, paragraph of these first 14 verses is now the work of the Lord Jesus. It speaks there of in whom we have redemption in the seventh verse. It goes on now to the work of the Lord Jesus. For you, no, for his own glory. Let's go on now down to the... Eleventh verse. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose, notice this, to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory. Are you living that way? Not when they come in these conferences, but I'm saying this directly to every one of us in this uh, auditorium today. Are we living like this? Are we in the consciousness of the profundity of it all, the loftiness, the divine purpose enfolding before our eyes this afternoon that the Father and the Son have, have accomplished all this, you involved, me involved, I'm involved, the work of the Lord Jesus to the praise of his glory. Look at the 14th verse. Here we come to the 13 and 14 have to do with the work of the Holy Spirit. We read the two of them. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
which is the earnest or the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Isn't that wonderful? Or do you think it is? I leave that with you. I can't I can't implant anything in you. I can only bring out these truths simply and falteringly. But is the Lord Jesus Christ or the Father first? To, uh, uh, does he do you see that he has been glorified in all this? The Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done on the cross for the glory of the God's fa- uh, the Father first and then for your and my uh, redemption. And then... (coughs) And then to realize that the Holy Spirit has been given. Aaron, when he went into the... Uh, the uh, tabernacle like Christ with the uh, picture of Christ he went in there and all the sins of the people was con- were confessed and he took those sins in and confessed them to God while he was in there there was a su- suspense until he came out and when he came out the people knew that their sins were forever well, for that year were forgiven The Lord Jesus is our high priest. He has gone into heaven. Our high priest, he never has come out. How do we know that all these things are true? How do we know that we're accepted? He never has come out. What has he done? Oh, blessed truth. He sent his Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit speaking reverently the third person or the person of the Godhead he lives in your body he lives in my body are you treating that body as if it was that holy indwelling person of the Holy Spirit he's the promise he's the guarantee he has come out to tell you and me that we are accepted in the beloved and not only so but let me add this you and I have been brought into his presence. The Lord Jesus is within the veil and we enter in through his precious blood. This is your portion. This is my life. Are we entering into it, beloved ones? Or are we just frittering our life away? Are we realizing that these are divine truths? These are riches Uh, for you and for me to enjoy that God the Father is satisfied and glorified to the praise of his glory and the Holy Spirit too working here still in our life to ever point us on to Christ and occupy us and as I said before live in your body and mine oh what a wonderful portion is ours how rich we are and how poverty stricken sometimes we're living beloved ones do we realize what it means in this 
God, uh, this world that is forsaken and just getting worse and worse rapidly to be gathered to the blessed name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege we had this morning. Does it grip your soul? Or are we just taking it for granted? We're being tested these days as to the reality of these truths. This truth, I shouldn't say truths. Truth. Do we value these things? You might say, well, yes, but you're bringing before us uh, the fact of God the Father and the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But what about us? That's number six now. Here's a secret now. God is satisfied. The Lord Jesus is satisfied and glorified. The Holy Spirit is glorified. But what about us? Are we left here to struggle on? Sometimes we feel that way, don't we? Oh, no. In order, in order that you and I might be enjoying this glorious truth, He's given us the power. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He is the power. Are you letting that Spirit formulate your thinking as to your job, your relationship with others, your boyfriends and girlfriends? Are you just taking these things uh, for granted and just say, well, it's uh, life up and down? Oh, beloved ones, God has given you and me this mighty power to live in our hearts, in our bodies, to enable us to fully enjoy these things. The Apostle John, three times in the Gospel, speaks of fullness of joy. Fifteenth chapter, he speaks of fullness of joy through obedience. Sixteenth chapter of John, he speaks of fullness of joy through prayer. Seventeenth chapter of John, he speaks of fullness of joy through communion. Are you? Am I? Are we enjoying this? Have we got the power? Do we need to ask the Lord? No, we don't. Let's go over to the first chapter of Second Peter to see. I want to leave these scriptures with you so that you will be able to meditate on them. Second Epistle of Peter, chapter 1. Verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us, notice this, all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, our spiritual energy. Yeah. 
He has given you and me all things that pertain to my salvation and then my life, your life. Kind of lofty what I'm saying. Eh? I want to suddenly stop now. A little bit too much, maybe. And I'm going to ask myself a question. Am I looking at you here this afternoon? And some of you, not only aiming at the young people, each one of us. Are we thinking, let's be honest, are we thinking, well, do I have to be as obedient as that? I don't think that God requires such rigid obedience. Are you thinking, I seem to be getting away with a few of these things, nothing's happening? We're liable to be thinking that way through the deception of Satan. Oh, how dangerous. I won't take time to look at it, but I'll give you the verses. You can read them. Israel. Just think of this now. Israel. 3,500 years ago, Moses wrote Deuteronomy, chapter 28. And there he set before, as directed by God, all the blessings and all the curses that would follow. And if you can start in verse 15 of Deuteronomy 28 or 45, read them and soberly read them and realize that God said that if they did not... if they did not obey that there was going to be a curse fall on them. So you say, well, did that happen? 1,500 years later, the Lord Jesus was sent as the Messiah, the promised one, and they murdered him. They crucified him. And for the last 2,000 years, that the nation of Israel is under that curse. They brought it on themselves. Two thousand years. Let me say this. Do you think you and I can get away with disobedience to the Lord without suffering in our souls? We're not going to have a curse put on us. I'm not going to lose my salvation. You dear young fellows that are here today, you're going to lose your salvation if you're disobedient to your parents or you say to your parents, I'm going to do what I want, but don't let Satan deceive you into thinking that you're not going to lose out in your soul. You are. Because God, in 1 Corinthians 10.11, tells us, Now all these things happen to them, uh, unto them for in samples unto us, to you and to me. And God isn't trifling. And God is a holy God. And He knows, He knows that the only way you and I are ever going to be happy 
He holds the key in his hand and that happiness and joy is through obeying him. He loves you and me too much to let me get away with anything and then to call on him and for guidance when I need him and then forget him when everything is going all right. Oh, beloved ones, that's why I stop in, in here between the sixth and the seventh because it is so rampant these days and Satan is just working, working. What devastation in the last couple of years have we experienced? What is, through what? Ah, through self-will. Through saying, well, it doesn't really matter. I think this and I think that. Oh, beloved ones, may we be arrested if we're on that self-will course God hates it God hates it he loves you so much that he wants to bless each one of us here he wants us to go away from these meetings just filled with joy with the power that he's given us and oh how wonderful that is now what's the seventh and last perfect number just this that there is nothing on this earth to compare with the joy and happiness and fulfillment and answered prayers and directions as to what to separate from down here nothing Nothing on this earth is compared with walking in communion day by day with our Father. Nothing. Nothing. How does the scripture describe this? Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. now please beloved think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you but but rejoice passing through trials I know some of you are some of us are really being tested what does it say? But rejoice. By taking the trials away? No, no. The blessed Lord Jesus, as we'll see in the next verse, has gone before on this path. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, 
ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Oh, what a prospect. What a prospect. Brother mentioned in his prayer, again I refer to it, spoke about the glorious future. Let's go back to the first chapter and... Verse 8. Whom, having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing. Believing is the same as obeying. If I believe a thing, I'm going to obey it. I can just say I believe it, but not... Uh, do it well and I'm not really believing it but yet believing ye rejoice with joy present tense present joy unspeakable and full of glory oh beloved ones are we enjoying Christ day by day and I just say this in closing let's reach up beloved ones let us avail ourselves of all that the Lord has enriched you and me with in this life in spite of the trials and difficulties oh that you and I would be living in our heavenly position today for his glory and for your and my blessing